Hello and welcome to another episode of The Advantage. I'm your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Friday, February 9th, and on today's podcast, we are going live as we record, and we are talking about the NBA trade deadline and the betting impacts. So many other shows are talking winners and losers, buyers and sellers. We're talking where to find value and where to put our money. I will be joined by Alec Bluestein to go through all of it. Let's get it started. I'm the type to get shit done. You the type to observe. March Madness on my speakers, but today's November 23rd. Cause I'm loud in the blunt, yeah. I don't say what I want, yeah. Probably somewhere sunny and tan. Foreign women in the sun, yeah. That's all that I need. That's all that I need. That's all that I need. Come my brothers with me. Come my brothers with me. I'm my mama's healthy. That's all that I need. All right, everybody, welcome in. Like I said, today we are talking about the trade deadline betting impacts, where we can find some value in the futures market. We are going to talk about the trades that happened, how we felt about it, go through some to make the playoffs bets, title contention bets, maybe even some award futures, some coach of the year odds, Alec. I saw some sneaky stuff in the coach of the year odds. Let me introduce you right now. You're actually muted, I can see, so make sure you unmute yourself. There we go. Alec Bluesy, welcome to the pod. Let's get right into it. You've been on the show once or twice before. We'll 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 dive that in the at the end of the episode. What we're doing with check ball and everything, and how some of these people might recognize you. What was your favorite move from the trade deadline? What was the thing that we have to talk about the most? What is your favorite best bet on the board? Start wherever you want to start. Let's get this thing going. Sounds good. Let's do it. It's going to be fun. Um, so first off, not. Not the craziest trade deadline we've seen, but definitely some a good array of moves for us to discuss. Uh, the first things that jump out to me, um, a little bit of bias with the with the Thunder Gordon Hayward uh, move. I've been sitting on a Thunder finals ticket for a while now. Uh, in the betting impact, it doesn't look like this actually impacted the, uh, the Thunder's odds too much. Um, but the Gordon Hayward move, um, I, just, I love that for the Thunder. Uh, I think it shows they're going for it right now. You know, they have such a young team, but they're not operating on, you know, a, necessarily a window. They're they're ready to attack now. And I think Gordon was a perfect acquisition because he's a veteran. He has some playoff experience. And I think he can gel into that offense, offense without too high of a usage rate to take away from Shea and, and J-Dub and, uh, and Chet. What is your OKC ticket that you had at the beginning of the season? So I got, I didn't get it at the beginning of the season. I got it around the new year, around 18 to one, I want to say. Okay. Uh, they actually haven't been playing too hot before this move. It, it looks like it's about 20 to one now. Um, so yeah, what do you think of that? I, th- I think you're floating around where it could be. I was actually very disappointed in the OKC Thunder trade deadline. I'm sitting on the best OKC ticket in the market. I have an 120 to one. From June 16th, I want to say that bet was placed. And I put three units on it at 120 to 1. I also, in that same vein, on that same day, if anyone was following me back then, your NBA futures are absolutely caked right now. We did Indiana Pacers 500 to 1, and we did Houston Rockets 500 to 1. So of, of the three teams that I picked off, it was Pacers, Rockets, and Thunder, all north of 120 and 500 to 1. Incredible. In a really good shape with those. I should do some updated things on that moving forward. However, 
I was pretty pissed off with OKC's move. I like the Gordon Hayward acquisition. If he could stay healthy, I think we understand he's going to take Josh Giddy's role in potentially a closing lineup. If he's playing well, he can pass, but he could shoot better than what Giddy can do. So now Giddy obviously is an electric passer, but his lack of ability to floor space and to create the open shot and to hit an open shot when he gets the drive and kick from Shea, that's going to really limit your upside in the playoffs. So if Gordon Hayward is a savvy veteran who's knocking down his shots, then I really like it. The flip side of that is they also totally miss the ball. If we start looking at some of the other pieces that happened in like, why didn't they just go get Bogdanovich? Because if they're looking for an off ball shooter to be better than Giddy, then why go with someone who's off injured in, and older and Gordon Hayward instead of bringing in Bogdanovich, who also has an incredibly flexible deal? Why not go get Xavier Tillman, who went to the to the Celtics? That's the one that pisses me off the most. The OKC Thunder needed a big so badly. If you're going to bang in the playoffs with AD, if you're going to bang in the playoffs with Zion and Joe Val, if you're going to bang in the playoffs with Sabonis. If you're going to bang in the playoffs with Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, should I keep going? Because I haven't even mentioned Nikola Jokic. And then we haven't even gotten to the point where who do you see in the NBA Finals? The Celtics got this guy now for the Finals, right? They got the guy now so they could go up against potentially Embiid, but the rest of the centers in the in the East are not nearly as daunting. OKC not giving up a first to go get that and letting, because they have an absolute stockpile. I think they had like three or four firsts this year. So they ended up giving the Mavericks uh, one of the firsts this year so that the Mavericks could re-spin it in exchange for a tr- uh, swap in the future. They're like, yeah, we'll just give you this now in exchange for a swap in 2028 in case you guys don't still have Luka and you guys are an absolute shit show. OKC hung very much in like their prestige sweet spot in like the I'm glad they didn't make a huge move. I'm glad they didn't go get Lori marketing. I heard that talk and I was like, why would the Jazz deal marketing? That makes no sense. Why would the Thunder want to go get marketing and pair him in with someone high usage who's going to be an offensive uh, force. You wanted someone who's going to be defensive and who's not going to drive a lot of usage and is going to increase depth. So the Hayward thing definitely helps their shooting, definitely helps their floor spacing, can definitely help their closing lineup, can definitely give a veteran presence when it counts most. But I have to be pretty disappointed. And I'm honestly not surprised to see OKC potentially dip back from 18 to 20 to one in acquiring Gordon because they kind of missed the mark on what's going to help them really championship contend. So you're hoping, honestly, with that ticket, Alec, you're almost like you're in a good spot because you could hedge off of it. And that's what I would do in like as soon as the second round, but they're probably going to get a good first round matchup and make it through still. Um, And then we'll have to talk about how you work on that because some of their competition, the Lakers, the the Pelicans, they didn't make a big move. So OKC just getting slightly better might now give them the edge over a team like the Lakers. And I say might because I probably still have the Lakers in a series above OKC. Call me crazy. Um my biggest takeaway and I just went on a on a huge ramble and I'll get your reaction to it was the Mavericks 
made clear win now moves, gave up a lot to do it. Last chance with Luca to like prove, hey, we're bringing in the right pieces for you to go get PJ Washington, to go get Daniel Gafford. We've kind of seen the type of player Luca plays well with. Now sitting at 42 to 1 on FanDuel, I'm actually going to bring up the odd screen as we go through this. Sitting at 42 to 1, Alec, uh, I think Dallas could make a run. They have two bona fide killers in Luka and Kyrie. You have a few defensive wing players in a PJ Washington and a Derek Jones Jr. and a Josh Green. Now you finally have some stable bigs behind Lively with Gafford, and you could play that rim-running, rim-protecting big that pairs so well with Luka, like that Clint Capella that we always dreamed of pairing with Luka. Mavericks 42? Could they could they do some – are they dangerous? Yeah, I think – I mean, when you're talking about Luka in the playoffs, we've seen we've seen what he can do. So I, I'm with you there. I, I'm a believer in that. Um, I do like what they did. My, my thought that comes to that is – the PJ Washington move, I do like it on surface value for um, it's it's an upgrade over Grant Williams, right? The Grant Williams signing wasn't working out how they panned. Uh, the thing that comes to my mind, and this is uh, maybe a little bit of lack of watching enough uh, PJ Washington and the Hornets uh, thus far this season, but they gave up a lot. They gave up a lot for him, so I think that shows. Um, at least to you know their front office, their confidence in in the group they have um, and being able to make a run this season. Yeah, I want to check what that PJ. I think he's on a very team friendly deal moving forward. I feel like he he was a restricted free agent this offseason, like was not signed to what everyone expected his contract would be. I'm quickly looking it up. Yeah, he signed a three year, forty six million average annual, fifteen point five this offseason. So that's a yeah. nice piece to acquire and lock in. But yeah, to give up a first and a swap, you need to know PJ Washington is going to fit next to Luca well. And I'm going to say the same thing, Alec. Guilty as charged in not watching enough Charlotte Hornets or not watching much, because I don't know if enough is the right branded term. Uh, not watching much Charlotte Hornets this year. I've watched so many Dallas Mavericks. I absolutely love I actually find Luca a little bit frustrating. I love watching Kyrie play basketball. Um, PJ, if he's the right fit, it's a really good acquisition. And it kind of starts to remind me of what the Celtics did with Derek White. In the moment when the Celtics traded for Derek White, one first round pick in the future and a pick swap, my first thought was a first and a swap for Derek White. Now, everyone who's looking at it, watching this pod is probably like, yeah, he, he's a borderline all-star. He's he's going to be a potential 12th man on Team USA. He's going to be invited to the top 42 for the Team USA tryouts. Like, Derek White became that dude and fit in perfectly with that team. If P.J. Washington can be Derek White West or Del Derek White of Dallas in that re-enter the Derek White of Texas, because that's where he, Derek White came from in San Antonio, um, I think PJ could be a really important piece. It's a lot to pay and it has to work. And I think you're right in saying that. Certainly. And I, I think, uh, I think it, it, you know, will help, it'll help Luca focus more on offense too. Right. PJ, I think is a little bit more of a versatile defender than Grant on that end as well. So I think that's something, something to, uh, to watch out for as well. 
So I'm going to pull up the the futures and try and find the best title odds in the market for Dallas right now because I am interested. Yeah, it is that uh, 4,200 at, at FanDuel right now. I'm seeing it on the big board. The other team that we got to talk about, I'll hit it right here. I mean, 16 to 1, Knicks. In like New York Knicks are fucking in there. You are you're in New York. You were at the Garden watching Knicks versus LeBron a week ago. Uh, the Garden is going to be a whole nother level of electric. They lost Hartenstein last night, so we need to make sure he's okay. Slash, Mitch is going to come back. That's a really shitty situation to lose your two centers right after the deadline and like literally yeah. the game after. I thought it was funny that they played the Mavericks last night, like the two teams that potentially uh, did the quote-unquote best in the trade deadline, according to consensus, uh, both happened to face off last night. Now, we're talking about this from a betting perspective. We talk about the most important thing about betting Knicks and Mavericks was your boy hitting under 232 and then over 217 at halftime, and that bitch landing at 230 for a four-and-a-half unit middle. I'm probably not even going to make that much on these teams for the, for the rest of the year. Like to, to cash that is absolutely amazing. Um, Knicks now at 16 to one after acquiring Boyan Bogdanovich. To me, that's a, a bit, a bit high, a bit like you can't really play that. Let's talk about what you do if you have like Knicks other tickets, but just generally speaking, the main thing that I wanted to point out with the Knicks one, they did amazing. Golf clap for this new Knicks regime who seems to be sharp. They seem to know what they're doing. Patient, aware, uh, salary cap motivated, flexible. And that's really the main takeaway is the flexibility of what the Knicks just did. The 48 contract was on the books for the sole reason of being repurposed into a trade. And it was so valuable that they, it even had a player option for next year. Fournier couldn't have played a minute. If Fournier wasn't traded, his player option was going to be picked up just so that we can dangle that uh, uh, contract in another trade. Now we get to the point where um, because Boyan is the contract that they absorb by giving away Fournier, Boyan Bogdanovich has a partial, a $2 million partial guarantee and a player option for that exercises. If you hold them for like the 20, 22 million or whatever, you have an amazing contract with the exact same amount of flexibility while increasing the talent, while increasing the, the, the trade asset. Now you could go to market and you could potentially go to, and I know this is a bad example, like Cleveland for Donovan Mitchell, or I know this is a bad example, like Minnesota Timberwolves with Carl uh, Anthony Towns. For the next disgruntled star that becomes available for New York, they're going to be able to potentially package Bogdanovich and some other contracts and a boatload of picks because they have eight tradable first-round picks. They gave up no first-round picks. That's fucking wild. What is OKC doing letting him get, letting him get there? That's unbelievable. Um, so especially with the contract flexibility, I mean, we also have to talk about Philly. Like, how does Philly not offer a first-round pick and bring in Bogdanovich with that contract? If they, they, they bring in Heald instead. We'll get to that next. Uh, what the Knicks did was really, really impressive, Alec. I know I'm flying all over the place. Is there a betting angle to 1,600? Probably not, right? 
Probably not. No. And coming from someone that has a 35 to one Knicks ticket for the okay. finals, that's uh, that's what I love to see. Um, also, being in New York, as you said, being a Knicks fan, um, it was a fantastic deadline for them by all accounts. The one dark cloud hanging over all this, as you said, is the health, right? Randall being reevaluated three weeks. OG was day to day for the last week and a half. And then it comes out yesterday, he had a, a small procedure. He's being reevaluated in three weeks. Hartenstein, as you said, the Achilles, uh, hoping that's precautionary um, because it was something he was dealing with um, recently and then, and then came back, uh, given you know Brun no Brunson, no OG, no Randall last night. Hopefully they, they took him out as a precaution. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the key. It was a fantastic deadline, but this health, you know, those are three key uh, rotation three key starters for, for this next team. And, and if they're not healthy, then unfortunately these deadline moves um, uh, are kind of moot. And that 16 to one isn't a lot of value. So I think there's, there's a lot of uh, um, uncertainty there in terms of where the market currently stands for them, given the Knicks health. Um, definitely my favorite part of these moves though, for the Knicks, which points, uh, you know, relates to your point of, of how did the thunder, you know, not go after uh, someone like Bogdanovich. Um, or Philly, the Knicks were able to get away with, you know, almost a Daryl Morey, Morey level of highway robbery here, giving up almost nothing. I mean, nothing. a couple seconds, Quentin Grimes, but, you know, having Grimes worn it out. Yeah. And Burks, Burks was a big part of the Knicks, you know, resurgence in 2021. Um, you, you take him over Grimes and you certainly take Bogdanovich. So, and that it keeps them, it gives them all the flexibility for that next big star, as you said, which I think is really what this Knicks front office um, is eyeing down the line here, probably uh, in the offseason. So I'm just looking through some of the awards. Like my first thought was, was could you snag up? Like, is it worth it to snag up some Tom Thibodeau coach of the year 25 to one? I still think no. I definitely want to talk about coach of the year and some awards in a second, but. I, I personally still lean no on that too. Um, and that's a regular season thing too. So I, I do mm -hmm. think this team is even more suited for the playoffs, given the way other awards are shaken out. I don't think that would be, I think Tibbs already won a coach of the year when he was in New York, right? He went yeah, last year, that, two years ago. It was either the COVID year or that 2021 year. Yeah. So another overperforming with generally the same group that's got even better. I don't think they're going to give him the award over a, Thunder or or Finch, Dagnall uh, yeah. or Finch. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that in a second. Brunson sixty to one MVP. Like, no. I wish I could short that. To be honest, like I wish there was a way to bet the the no version of this. Um, one day the, there will be a maybe consensus in, industry change that anytime they offer a yes, they have to offer a no. Uh, That'd be nice. <laughs> Exactly. And then we could pick off some of these things where they're trying to bait us or the, or like the awards that they still offer. They've gotten away from doing it, Alec, because they were getting screamed at. But there was um, a few MVP candidates listed who were disqualified from winning the award. Like John Morant was still available to be taken when he could not have possibly won because of this new 65 games rule. So, uh, you know, these books will do some egregious things. Uh, let's see who else do we, let's talk about some teams that did not make any moves. Um, no moves for Denver, no moves for the Clippers. Of course they made the hardened trade already. Uh, no moves. This, the Suns made very small moves, no moves for the Minnesota Timberwolves, no moves for the Pelicans, 
No moves for the Los Angeles Lakers. No moves for the Golden State Warriors. A lot of teams out West, no moves. My biggest reaction to that, Alec, was perhaps some sneaky value on the Pelicans. I was glad the Pelicans stood pat. Uh, I heard them link to DeJounte. I did, don't really think that was the right piece for them. I don't really think they they need more shooting, if anything, when they slip the Jordan Hawkins into the lineup, when they slip Trey Murphy into extended minutes, uh, when CJ is healthy and shooting well. That's when this team really flourishes. They're a dangerous playoff team because they could beat you in any type of way. They could play any type of basketball. So I'm now thinking, like, are the Pelicans, and they play the Lakers tonight, so this is a good microcosm, are the Pelicans just clearly better than Lakers, Kings, Warriors, uh, potentially even Mavericks? Are the Pelicans just as good in a playoff series as a Oklahoma City Thunder? That's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, totally hear you. I think, John, their their roster, you know, easily one of the highest upside in the league. Um when they're clicking, they're clicking on all cylinders. When it comes to them in the playoffs, I mean, when you're talking about the Lakers, as you were saying, you know, Thunder Lakers potential playoff matchup, it's tough for me to discount the experience of LeBron and AD uh, in the playoffs, how they come alive in the playoffs, as we saw last year. If the in-season tournament is any any indication, they'll be bringing it again back in uh, uh in May, April, hopefully they're they're all healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean the Pelicans are really interesting. They have such a deep, deep roster. You know, it's tough for even like Jordan Hawkins to be getting consistent minutes, and he's been um, he's been a he's been great by all accounts. So I was I was definitely intrigued by um, their lack of moves because it seemed like they could have made uh, an upgrade if they wanted to. But I guess you know they trust they trust Willie Green and how to utilize you know all the pieces they've they've given him thus far. If you're a better right now and you have a chance to bet Lakers fifty to one or Pelicans forty six to one, you're going Lakers fifty to one. Yeah, I am. I for me the Pelicans this year I've seen. I mean, it's a you know blowing big leads is a trend throughout the NBA now. It gets more and more. I actually think you're completely right. I yeah, the Pelicans to me are a team that I've seen just blow a lot of leads this year. They've controlled games and then. It's almost like, I don't know if it's a coaching thing or just, you know, comes down to crunch time. Who, who's going to have the ball in their hands? Are you, CJ can be great, but in spots, is he that clutch player? Is it Brandon Ingram? Is it Zion, who's sort of taken a step back a little bit in terms of just his stats, I would say. Um, but yeah, that that's the biggest thing for me. In, in the clutch, who are they relying on? Is it going to be CJ? Is it going to be Zion? Is it going to be B.I.? Um, and particularly to the Lakers, uh, I just I just trust LeBron and AD and their pedigrees more. So let's move on from title odds and start looking like a little bit more niche settings. The Atlanta Hawks are a team that I'm very interested in, Alec. Uh, no trades, did not trade DeJounte, been underperforming, but we're about reaching that point of the year where it's almost the one-year mark for Quinn Snyder. And I... I don't know him personally. I was about to say I know Quinn Snyder as a coach. I don't I don't know him personally, but I know I understand his philosophies as a coach. It's very Spurs Warriors-esque. It's very uh movement oriented, uh know where you're supposed to be oriented, have your 
uh, expected spots that your players are going to be in your outlet passes and then you're moving. So when you start reaching that one year mark, I'm like, are they about to start gelling? Are they about to start getting it together? Jalen Johnson kind of taken off. Uh, Trey Young has been absolutely amazing this season. He deserved to be an all-star. They have, they, they're probably a bit settled now that the deadline's over. Everyone can take a deep breath. And do they have a chance of really making a run for it right now? If if I played the under 44 and a half, which I think I did, I'll have to check what my exact number was. I definitely played a Hawks win total under at the beginning of the year. I'm 100% flipping that around, and everyone loves the fiddle middle. Doing it at 140 juice right now, that's not really possible. But I'm looking for the right Hawks number to play back a Hawks over win total. I just think given not doing anything at the deadline is going to settle the team. And then you have a coach who you're about to get used to and start clicking into rotation with. It's not like it's Missoula where he just wants everyone shooting threes as soon as they get him. This is a pass, move, be there. And if you're not there, there's problems. And then the whole system's off. Totally. Um, there, Trey's been playing so well. And I think, I think a little bit of the disappointment with the Hawks this year has been, as you were saying, Quinn Snyder coming into about just over half a year when the season started. We haven't seen them gel like you were referring to. You know, it would be, it would be really, yeah, it would be really cool to see that start to happen more. Um, the one, the one concern is is just the Trey Dejun, uh, the Trey Murray backcourt, and um, I don't want to say it's it's hit its ceiling, but it's it seems like it could be trending that direction. Um, I don't know. I I don't. I think it was. I think they. You certainly could have made a case for them to sell and to try and capitalize on um, either. You know, if you were th- talking about an untouchable on that team, you'd think Trey. Although, it this reminds me of a little bit of the Halliburton Fox. Yeah, Halliburton was younger on a better contract than Fox. Although, the Kings were able to get more for Halliburton. That's ultimately why they moved him. It would be interesting to think about. You know, they didn't move. I'm sure they didn't move Murray because they weren't getting good enough offers. Yeah, the offers of Reeves or D'Lo, like, that's not enough. Yeah. Especially when you still owe all your picks to the Spurs. Like, they haven't even started paying the debt on DeJounte. On on DeJounte, yeah. If if they were talking to teams about Trey, potentially they would have gotten something, uh, a large enough bite. So Yeah, you definitely have to consider it. I wonder what was being offered, but at the same time, Trey is like... He's who they want to build around. Yeah, and he's fucking good. And there's so many haters out there, but he the guy could put the ball in the hoop. He could he can set your man up where you want to be. He's terrible on defense, but this is an offensive league. And like we talk about he's terrible on defense. His defensive ratings are not that much worse than like he's a better defender than Damian Lillard per the numbers. He's a yeah. better defender than John Morant per the numbers. Right? Like I was looking at it yesterday. He's a better defender than Joe Harris by the numbers. I was like, what are we even we can't Trey's not actually the worst defender in the league. Um, it's like when they used to, they used to say that about Steph. Um, so I don't know. I think I think like a little, the the bump up for the the Hawks to make the playoffs seems a bit a bit much. 
uh, they're like plus 260 or whatever, but minus 350 to make the play in or they're over win totals. That becomes really interesting. I'm looking at the Eastern standings right now. Like the Hawks are sitting at 10th, 22 mm-hmm. and 22 and 29 tied with the, um, I should not tied three games back of the bulls, two games up on the nets. If we think the Nets, which I, I think is a team that you wanted to discuss, if we think the Nets are going to go backwards right now and get worse, then it does seem like the Hawks are are kind of locked into at least being a play-in tournament team with upside. So then are you playing like the minus 350 in the future? I don't love generally playing paying minus 350, but at this point in the season, when that's going to only be a future for three months, when that's going to get paid out relatively soon, that's after the end of the regular season. So two and a half months from now, it's not after the playoffs and it looks really secure. Then that's probably worth an investment. If we're, if we're doing really well in other spaces, which we are right. We just returned all of our NFL futures. We have the Super Bowl happening tomorrow. So our futures portfolio and our available account balance to be able to reposition into some of these markets. It's like now is the time, and I probably should have started this podcast off with it. Now is the time to be able to pick off some of the right futures, to be able to say, I could throw four units here because I don't need to turn over that part of my bankroll because I just returned all of my NFL futures. So let me play a Hawks minus 350 to make the play in tournament because they seem at minimum locked into the 10th seed, the 11th Nets, the 12th Raptors, the 13th Hornets. They're going the other way. The Hawks potentially are going to kick into gear and to get a little bit better. The Bulls, they're sandwiched between the Bulls and the Nets. And Alec, I know those are two teams you want to talk about. So let's let's talk about those right now. Hawks minus 350 to make the play, and I think is one of my favorite ones so far. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a great bet, as you were saying, in terms of uh, especially if you're holding that um, that under 44 and a half uh, ticket from, exactly. from preseason, then that's a great spot to potentially middle. Looking at the standings, it could. Yeah, you could certainly get a middle there. Easily. Um, and but in terms of teams following the theme of not of standing pad at the deadline, um, sort of the opposite direction of the. Hawks, the Nets, and the Bulls, I think, were two of the two very curious cases of standing pat. Um, just really brings up the question of, of what are their goals? What are what are these teams' front offices' goals going into the stretch run here? Um, are the Bulls just trying to be in the play-in as every every season forward? I mean, they have. I think. My point is, I think both of these teams had had pieces that um, they could get real value back for, um, and not dealing them, not seriously engaging in the talks at the least, I think was a little bit of a malpractice on both of both of those fronts. Especially on the Bulls, like if you look at what the rest, if you're set on making the play in, right? If that's your goal, I think their goal is, to, I think their goal is to try and get into the eighth seed and then have two shots at the play in and then potentially a first round the bulls. I heard this on Windhorse podcast recently. The bulls make a shitload of money. Like they still have the number one attendance in the league. Mm-hmm. They, so by, they have the biggest arena in the league. Uh, there's still a major attraction in Chicago. Uh, bears are, are, are nothing Blackhawks. I don't know how good the Blackhawks are these days. White Sox, Cubs. I just know that the bulls have 
by far the most interest in Chicago, and they draw a lot of attention. I was actually on the phone with my roommate last night, and I, he's like, hold on, I got to talk to my mom. And he's from Chicago, and him and his mom start talking bull strategy, and then he gets back on with me, and I'm like, that was adorable. Are you, <laughs> you and your mom just talking bulls, X's, and O's? Like, that was like, call me, three-way me into those conversations. <laughs> but um, even if the bulls gave away DeRozan, right, if it, Levine was off the table because of the injury, mm-hmm. right? So a, a lot of the people want to complain that the deadline was less exciting than we thought it was going to be. We had CP3 get traded. We had Dame get traded. We've had Drew Holiday get traded twice. We've had James Harden get traded. We've had Pascal Siakam get traded. We had OG Ananobi. We've had a lot of exciting trades this NBA season. In years past, they more come towards the deadline, like a Kyrie KD kind of rollout and, and some fallout happens. That happened earlier. That happened for Toronto, offing Siakam and OG Ananobi earlier. So it still was an exciting deadline. But I'm like, now the Bulls had more benefit of the doubt of time and the ability to realize the Raptors who are below them, the Hornets, the Nets, the Hawks, like they're going to be locked into a play-in spot, which they wanted, even if they gave up DeRozan. Yeah. Even if they had given up Levine a few weeks ago for whatever, I probably I don't even know. They probably maybe even would have had to attach stuff. Apparently, Zach Lowe said they they were offered two first round picks for Caruso. Yeah, that's I mean, what that's, the fuck? That's the one because there are, he would be so valuable to a number of contending teams, and his contract is just it's incredible, right? Like um, Simmons was. Dude talking about how you look at someone like Drew Holiday or Caruso. I mean, Drew Holiday is making what? What is his contract? Like 24 million, 30 right million, now. something like that. But whatever it is, Caruso's nine mil. You're getting in tremendous value. And I think that that points to uh, exactly why they were getting offers for two first round picks for Caruso. And if you do make some of these moves, it lets you, it lets the Bulls focus on what has been the best part of their season, in my opinion, so far, which is the resurgence, not resurgence, but the breakout of Kobe White. He's He's been awesome. And you yep. you give him more usage. You let him uh, take a little bit more keys to the offense if you give up DeRozan. Um, I think that benefits them, you know, in the long term in, in multiple ways, acquiring more assets and furthering, furthering Kobe White's development. So, uh a little befuddled just, by them. By them. Yeah, this is Caruso's deal. The only way it makes sense, and I'll answer this question one year from now, throw it in the calendar. The only way it makes sense is if they still can get that deal one year from now because he's got a partial guarantee before it becomes unrestricted. You're That's probably fair. not getting two first next year for him as he then goes into unrestricted free agency. Mm-hmm. You have the you're giving the team the ability to use him this year in the playoffs and then still roll over him into next year too. So a team like I don't know who might have given those two first. Is it a team like Denver who's like really trying to assure it? You have to take that, even if it's going to be two really late round first from that team. You have to take that if you're the Bulls. I don't care about culture driving. Hopefully Caruso has been there long enough where and Kobe White has grown enough where the culture has been set a bit, where the expectations been set. You still have a really good coach in Billy Donovan. If you're worried about culture problems, get rid of the culture problems too. 
because simply keeping Alex Caruso in the building is not going to that's not going to course correct your problem people and it's not going to it's it's not going to save the franchise in wins or in making the play in or in even yeah. reaching their goals relative to where they are in the standings of other teams this was brain dead of the bulls like almost as bad as what the pistons did which we don't i don't we don't even talk about it cuz there's no betting impact of the pistons yeah. but what the bulls did was atrocious uh Agreed. i was really pissed off about it if you one, can't tell one <laughs> clearly we have a, a similar opinion there um to play devil's advocate to both of our our opinions here something interesting um one factor could be as you said just their they make they make good money they're a top attraction in chicago as you said i mean the blackhawks had like the number one pick last year they got like the dart whatever they're probably they're not very good uh socks bears as you said so that you know the financial impact could definitely be um motivating them in that regard keeping what they have although an interesting um another interesting factor talking about caruso and the partial guarantee if that same deal won't be there next year i think that they could be thinking that you know there's a case to be argued that that it could be there because of this trend that you were getting at um which is encapsulated encapsulated well in an athletic article i saw the other day uh by danny larue talking about the trend of these deadline moves happening earlier and earlier right and a huge benefit of this is teams while they can also clarify their their place in landscapes earlier and earlier as the deadline approaches it gives teams um way more flexibility in uh acquiring these players for the long term versus having to do a sign and trade and losing all your leverage in the offseason right like og and siakam trades the knicks didn't have the cap space to get og if he is a free agent in the summer bird rights it's all about those larry bird rights yep so if you get caruso even if he has that partial guarantee if you're a team that wants to lock him up for three four years you know there could be teams willing to give up that same price or a similar price next season um because of their ability to get him into their into un, under their uh salary cap um by caruso's their- next contract screams whatever that bruce brown deal was like that oh we'll we'll, we'll pay you 15 million uh, a year mm-hmm. for two years but just give us the team option on the back end yeah. just i think it was a two like- it was a t- 20 million uh per year with a team option for next year Exactly. So, like, surprising that he didn't get that he didn't get moved either. Bruce Brown. Yeah, from the Raptors again. Yeah, because the Raptors are going to be able to exercise that and just deal with it next year. I actually think Bruce Brown on a on a fully expiring is is probably just it's the same value year over year for him, so they could hold on to that. And the Raptors had the Raptors had three or they had four first round picks, and they this year and they gave up one of those. To get Agbaji and the Olinic swing, yeah. So if they were gonna if they were gonna sell Bruce Brown, they would have needed to get a twenty seven, a twenty eight pick. So they'll worry about that next year. He's probably a good locker room culture guy, but that's the exact opposite of like understand your situation and then apply it. Like it's the exact opposite of the Caruso situation, mm-hmm. and you should have both are pretty simple to figure out. I mean, we just did it in six minutes. So, uh, yeah, that was that was absolutely brain dead. Uh, what was was there another team that I wanted to talk about quickly? The Nets, that, in that vein. The Nets. 
Uh, Yeah, in terms of just in terms of similar, I mean, McCal Bridges, they could have gotten a haul for him. They weren't really even listening. Now I know exactly what I was going to talk about. I disagree. 20 second timeout. I want to explain one nerdy basketball thing quickly as it relates to um, uh, Miles Bridges and his veto of the trades because he's and the whole we were just talking about bird rights which is why i wanted to talk about this Mm -hmm. if you're a weird nerdy nba fan like i am and i think you are too alec um like some of these like cap intricacies contract intricacies why things are happening really interest me so it's like charlotte has made a bunch of indications that they have absolutely no plans to keep miles bridges around whether Mm -hmm. that be a culture thing i don't know plenty of off uh, off the court yeah. issues he's a, he is a good fit on the court um i'm also one of those weirdos who believes in astrological signs and the the lunar uh cycles impact your hormones and your appetite and all those things if you look at the lamello ball uh brandon miller miles bridges astrological yeah. sign combos and their relationship compatibilities it's one of the most compatible trios in the nba so watch out for them to be a dangerous dynamic force moving forward if they stay together but it does seem like the the hornets wanted to move on from him which is why they were going to package him in trades but miles bridges ended up vetoing the trades kind of like saying no to the trades it's like wait he doesn't have a no trade clause so I just wanted to explain that because Miles Bridges had the off the field, off the court issues, the Hornets ended up bringing him back on his qualifying offer, meaning they did not offer him an extension. It is the last year of the rookie deal. It is what's called a qualifying offer. Um, they they kept him on their books. They they hold on to the piece. It is a one year deal. It could not be negotiated for or against. And the flip side of that is for that year. It is a one-year deal in which he will have an ability to veto trades to the raw to to a spot. Because in getting traded while you're on a qualifying offer, you lose your bird rights. So bird rights are what allows you, like you were just saying, Alec, in the OG Ananobi case, for a team like the New York Knicks to go acquire OG Ananobi, wait for him to become a, a free agent, and then exceed their salary cap to go back and sign that player. For a guy like Bridges, he when he was going to be dealt to said team, whether that was going to be the Houston Rockets or the, the, the Phoenix Suns seemed interested, Phoenix Suns are completely capped out. They have one of the richest owners in the league who would be sure if he had a bird rights player who was worth it, who would exceed the cap. But that would not be possible. If Bridges had gone to Phoenix and he was absolutely crushing it. He the his probably would have been a minimum deal or like a or a mid-level exception or whatever the baseline contract the Phoenix Suns could still offer him at the end of this year. So why would he say no and why would he stay with the team that still doesn't want to keep him? It's because he's dropping 40 bombs on a nightly basis. He's playing 37 minutes a night. So his still best audition tape, his still best chance to get the biggest contract in the future is to stay on the Charlotte Hornets to stay in that role. Even if it's for two more months, we will see maybe things change and the the wave turns and they end up keeping him around. Uh, I don't think he's going to stay, but I do think he's going to get the biggest contract by staying where he is. I just wanted to explain that like nuance of the qualifying. Yeah. And isn't, isn't there an angle of the potential? I mean, this, you know, takes away all the leverage from the Hornets, but 
they can pay him the most, right? Yes. So if he's ideally, he's thinking sign and trade next year in the offseason. Right. Like a team like Philadelphia would be able to offer him a lot too. Yep. I think I, th- I think if we know things about Daryl Morey, this is a this is a Kyle turn the TikTok camera on. Uh, <laughs> if we know things about Daryl Morey, and he's always got four plans up his sleeve, and they're very close to the vest, and you don't know what's coming, and they're going to surprise you. One of them's probably the Miles Bridges angle because he would be a good fit next to Embiid and Maxi. Uh, athletic can run with Maxi, can play D next to Embiid, can kind of floor space a little bit. He would be a really good fit there. And you sure know as hell, Daryl Morey, if that's what he's interested in, he doesn't want to leak that because he doesn't want to, uh, you know, start that PR train. There'd be no reason to start that now, right? We all we all just dealt with Daryl Morey as a liar. We've all dealt with the Daryl Morey China stuff. Like, we don't need more Daryl Morey headlines and drama out there. So keeping that close to the vest, I would be interested if he ends up on the Sixers. And and I think the Buddy Heald situation will will play out. That's another one where, like, maybe they have bird rights and then they can exceed cap, right? Mm-hmm. Do they bring in Bridges? Do they re-sign Maxi and then re-sign heel to go over and now they're now they're got a squad like that would yeah. be a fucking squad i think there was maybe a uh a decoy thrown out by by daryl if you're working along your thinking with the uh chris haynes reported that they'd be a major player for pg if he doesn't if he doesn't resign with the clippers this offseason no pg pg's resigning with the clippers they, and the 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 76ers would be the team to come swoop him in yeah. but there's just no way that's happening uh the Kawhi extension how well they've been playing i actually think that going to acquire buddy healed and making some of the moves has been a um indicator that they don't think they're going to get paul george they've kind of accepted defeat they're kind of like oh he's sort of off the market now Oh, OG Ananobi's sort of off the market right now. Mm-hmm. We were going to go for our two max slots to try and go get Paul George and OG Ananobi and then to pair them with Embiid and then to use bird rights to sign Maxi. That plan no longer really exists. So I think it's more of an admission. Alec, the last thing we have to talk about is this awards race. Tell me what you see here when you look at NBA Coach of the Year. In terms of value? In terms I mean- of... The, uh, no fucking brain. You want me to just take it away? You want me to just do it? The one, yeah. I mean, Dag- Dagnall Finch, both of them. Yeah, rightfully the favorites. I mean, I think it, it it's got to be one of them, right? I mean, you're gonna make Tyron Lue's gonna be the coach of the nope. year. When I mean, one of the no, best coaches. Not but when when Kawhi's when Kawhi's playing all but one game Arden. and playing an MVP lever. When when yeah. when the combination of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and James Harden, I think has missed seven games for them this season once they've become a trio. Like, are you kidding me? It's not going to be Ty Lue. J.B. Bickerstaff, we were talking about on a podcast not too long ago about him being on the hot seat. Rick Carlisle, the Pacers have kind of gone the other way. Tom Thibodeau just won this award with the Knicks overperforming. I don't think it's going to happen again as they get better. Will Hardy and the Jazz. That was a great story last year. They are a little bit worse than that this year. I don't think he's in contention. We have the number one and two seeds in the West being absolute stunners and showstoppers and surprises this year. 
it is probably going to be one of these two teams, even if they end up two, even if the Nuggets end up taking the number one seed and and either Dagnalt and OKC yeah. finish two or Chris Finch and the Timberwolves finish two. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing your coach of the year, one of these two people. So let me show you something, Alec, and let me talk about that thing that we talked about earlier in this podcast that when you are at this point of the NBA season, when you have returned your NFL futures, when you have a lot of liquidity in your account balance because all of those win totals, all of those awards, all of those uh, Super Bowl bets are either returned, paid out, over with, no longer pending, after you've been dominating the NBA season like we have. I'm up over 60 fucking units this season. I'll cancel that word. Sorry about it. Uh, I'm up over 60 units this season. It's been absolutely dominant. So now we can use our power and our flexibility to start really trying to position ourselves strongly and dominate some of these markets. And here's what we should do, Alec. Boom. You grab both that uh, Dagnalt plus 150 and that Finch plus 260. If your stake is just a 100% stake, I like using 100 as a percentage base, then you are looking at a 47.5% return on investment regardless of who wins. This is me using an arbitrage calculator. This, of course, is not an arbitrage situation. An arbitrage situation is when we have two fixed outcomes in which we are pinning against each other. I am using this to essentially corner the market uh, in the two people that I think have the most obvious chances to win and using this formula to know how to weight my approach. Now, this is not a true arbitrage. We are not guaranteed that one of these two people win. I feel very strongly enough about it that it far exceeds the ROI that you'd return and the implied probability that you are now paying for this ticket. So to get a 47.5% ROI by knocking both of these numbers, Dagnalt at 59% of your bet and Chris Finch at 41% of your bet, Alec, I don't give a shit who wins. Just give me one of them. And it's at the point now where watch this. It's not about doing it for one unit. It's about doing it for six because we have the flexibility to actually go do this right now, right? So we are going to put oh, yeah. 3.54 units on Dagnalt and 2.45 units on Finch. We are pushing some chips into the middle. This is by far, I'll bring up this tab again, by far the highest value awards race that we can find. There is a clear degree of certainty. We have two candidates with plus odds that we could both get access to. I don't know that there's any degree of certainty in this race and there's worse odds. I don't know if there's any degree of certainty in this clutch player of the year. And like, right, like maybe Steph or Luca could come get it. That's probably another interesting one to combo these two players. Uh, but like, again, these, this is the time now where you just start putting together some portfolios and by far the best option if you start arbitraging and cornering these markets is Dagnalt and Finch coach of the year. Six unit total position will bring home a 47% ROI, meaning you are bringing back 2.75 units roughly on yeah. this. It's, it's a no brainer. It is a no-brainer. I love that angle too. It's not true arbitrage as you said, but you know it's it's as safe a bet as you can get. You're looking at two 
very young teams in the Wolves and Thunder who, if I'm, I believe this is correct, the eight seed and the 10 seed in the playoff play in last year. Um, two young teams, not a ton of previous uh, playoff pedigree, and they've gone from eight and 10 to one and two this year. And likely, I mean, the Clippers through the second half of the season, but they're going to be in the top three in the West, right? And so you see that improvement from a young team. That's what gets you, uh, that's what wins you Coach of the Year awards. And the flip side of that is there's not really many other strong candidates. In the East, it looked like it was Jamal Mosley and the Magic who were really strong at the beginning of the year. It's not going to be. It looked like it was potentially Rick Carlisle and the Pacers who were really strong at the beginning of the year. It's not going to be. Right? It's not going to be Thibodeau as the whole Knicks just improved. It's not mm-hmm. going to be Joe Missoula. Like, there's st- good basketball people have way too many questions about his coaching practices. I'm at the point, Alec, where I'm like, why? Like, we're, we're looking at this as if it's going to be six units. Like, why isn't it nine? Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. The one, the one, the one, um, the one, uh, if you go back to the odds screen, the one that popped out to me, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up, and I'm I'm gonna quickly shoot it down to further um, further prove this point here. Yeah, Bickerstaff at 750. No, it's the worst. It's the worst price thing on the board. Correct. So you are correct. The it's it seems really it seems like great value right now because of I mean they're the hottest team in the league right now at 15 and one in the last 16 something like that. Yeah. And the thing is though, Mobley coming back, right? What's what's going to happen? There's a lot Ireland of uncertainty. Back. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty there, and how that's going to shape. Like that could screw up the chemistry they have right now. You're not going to not play Mobley, who's the fourth pick. You're not going to not play Garland. You invested the fifth pick in. Like they're going to be involved. There's uncertainty there compared to the Wolves and Thunder, who you know what you're going to be getting in the second half of the year. We also have this to look at, Alec. Check this out quickly. They're hot, right? Look at the look at all those dubs. They're hot. Let me also yeah. let me also point out something. Washington, Washington, San Antonio, Brooklyn, Chicago, Atlanta, a few Milwaukee's as they were transitioning and going through absolute hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Detroit, Memphis, San Antonio, Washington, Brooklyn. Like strength yeah. of schedule. They've had the easiest strength of schedule in the league during the stretch. Yes, yeah. they have been really good. Yes, Donovan Mitchell is playing like an all-star starter, potential all-NBA player. Yes, Jared Allen is grabbing every single double-double like it's his job. It is his job. Uh, Mobley has just come back, and he's fitting in. Garland has just come back, and they seem to be fitting in all right. Uh, I, the, the strength of schedule just is just – it's just not happening. It's just they've been, they've been playing a lot of games at home, and they've been playing against very easy teams when they go on the road. So I'm not going to be playing into any J.B. Bickerstaff. I actually am glad he pointed it out. I think it's the most egregious thing on this board. We're not just showing you what to take. We're showing you what not to take. Exactly. Um, We're not to get caught by the books. I'm going to have to do more digging myself. And let's wrap this up here, Alec. I think it was a great discussion. I'm going to have to do more digging to see if this Damian Lillard-SGA combo is worth grabbing. you could even add Steph in there. You could probably arbitrage the three of these together if you did it right and you exposed it correctly. Yeah. Like, what, is, what are the three odds? It's plus 195. I'm going to do it right now. 210, 210 and 450. 
So everyone wants to always ask me when I do these arbitrage things, Mike, how do you, do you have the formula? Yes, I have the fucking formula, but I also have a calculator. So like when you go and do a hundred divided by 93, are you, do you go out and do it or do you just type it into a calculator? <laughs> um, oh wait, I'm clicking the wrong, I'm clicking the cap. Yeah. You can make an 18.5% ROI by hitting all three of Steph. SGA and Dame. All right. I'm going to have to do more digging into their clutch numbers and see who else yeah. is relatively close. Cause that uh, one's path- more metric based in terms of the clutch, the clutch. NBA yeah. You clutch can actually back. look at like the NBA defines yeah. clutch as within five points with five minutes left, or they, yeah. or they have like with a one possession game under three minutes left, they have like the yeah. super clutch or whatever it is. For uh, any so of the we viewers, can actually look at those stats. Yeah. For any of the viewers to clarify that, do you know exactly how it's defined in terms of it's once it's five the game's within five points, five minutes. Then if it's you know there's four minutes left and it becomes a seven point game, a ten point game, it's still yeah, clutch. No clutch. So it's a it's a fluctuating. It's a, it's a great question. Yeah, it it's just it's something I've always thought about it, but it fluctuates based on um, uh, obviously the game score. But it's not. Yeah, just, like if 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 the Lakers are in a five point game and there's three minutes left and then. Uh, they, you know, bang two threes and they're up 11 with a minute left. There's no longer, we're not clutch time anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, that's a good point. I never thought of that. Yeah. I've always, cause just because, because of the NBA, how the NBA has evolved too. And just in terms of, like you said, it could be a three point game and then you get two turnovers, two threes and and one. Also, like, also, like, if you get scored against, if you're down, if you're down five and you get scored against with five, four minutes and 30 seconds left, and now you're down seven and you're bringing the ball back up, that's equally as clutch of an opportunity as being down five. Like, you need that yeah. basket probably a little bit now more than ever. Yep. So, if you actually end up coming through and, and bringing the game back to five, does it count? Does it, does it count if you make it a five point game? Like, that's interesting. I'll ask a few yeah. people who might know. And then, yeah, there's that, that is some uncertainty with that award, which has always uh, made me pause a little bit with it, but definitely because there's a lot going on there. Definitely interesting. All right. That'll wrap up our discussion of NBA futures as they relate to the trade deadline. We talked about a lot of things. There's definitely a massive play coming in the coach of the years market. There's likely some plays coming in the Western conference title odds i'll have to check in with that and i will post them all alec thank you as always for bringing me on the people who might recognize you are from when you chime in at the end of the check ball episodes with av and you've been our um what do you what what should we say video editor video production editor whatever you want to call it anyone who's seen the, the short form videos on my on my twitter feed alec's been the one in the kitchen cooking those up i'm cooking up bets he's cooking up short form videos Either way, we're still getting it done. It's great to have you here. It's great to have you on the show. To everyone else, peace out. You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. And for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.